When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Afternoon, everybody. Beautiful day, huh? Beautiful day. Uh, you know, this year, I've had three of my favorite recording artists die. Uh, Jeff Beck, who was one of the Yardbirds, great, three great guitarists, died back in January. And then Gordon Lightfoot, who uh, Steve Helper, my buddy in Chicago, turned me on to. And just last night, Jimmy Buffett. So I thought we'd uh, do a tribute to Jimmy Buffett. He's had a lot of good things. These are my favorites. Wrinkles only go where smiles have been. It takes no more time to see the good side of life than the bad. Life is just a tire swing. He's got some more. Some people never find it. Some only pretend. But I just want to live happily ever after, now and then. And I'd rather die while I'm living than live while I'm dead. Uh, Those are my favorites. Uh, Actually, (laughs) I just, this is from Mort. Uh, he just sent an email in to me and he said, if we couldn't laugh, we'd all go insane. And I agree with that one too, Mort. Uh, anyway, uh, thank you all for uh, listening in. And as you know, this is a live show. And look, I, I just want to say that uh, some changes were made uh, by my company. So, you know, if you're wondering where the changes came from, that's that's the scoop. But if you want to sit down and have a conversation with me or you know, some of the stuff that used to be on the show that isn't on the show, you can call me at my office. You can find my webpage at WHK1420s. If you go to local podcast down to the Smart Investor Show, it takes you directly to my webpage. And all the stuff I talk about on the show, the dividend growth portfolio, the prime income list, wealth plans. Oh, I can't tell you how. I, I've just I've had to tell two people recently that their wealth plan wasn't a good one. <laughs> and But we're making changes. It's amazing, just one or two things, and they, they've doubled in, in, in uh, their probability. So uh, it can be done, folks. It can be done. And if you'd like to set up our weekly newsletter uh, from RBC, uh, you know, uh, fill in. But if you go to my webpage, there's a thing called Bulletin Board. And on there, Rob Schleimers, uh, who is our head technical guy, he has a thing called Roadmap. It's a great piece. And then uh, across the top uh, is Insight. It's on a banner, and if you go there, you get a whole bunch of uh, really good stuff. So, um, you know, I, I highly, highly recommend it. It's uh, good stuff, good, good, good stuff. You know, Bulletin board also has a newsletter too, by the way, right above uh, Rob Schleimer's stuff. Just says weekly newsletter, <laughs> uh, and then you know we we put out a piece that's uh, it's it's Global Insights with the weekly edition. If you'd like to be set up on that, please let me know. So, look, uh, the performance of uh, some key trades within the U.S. Uh, equity market speaks for themselves. I think the inflections in the Russell 1000 growth of value and, and small cap and the NASDAQ and the NASDAQ 100 uh, are still holding at levels close to key pivotal points from the past. And sectors that lagged earlier this year, like energy and healthcare, have been leading in August within the S&P 500 anyway. And the, the desire, I think, um, 
for leadership to rotate seems to be instinctive and strong. And that goes back to Rob Schleimer, you know, sort of months now he's been talking about rotation nation. So whoever you think's the leadership uh, goes away fairly quickly. And that's because, look, it's hard to, to, uh, well, I'll put it as Lori Calvacina put it. So let me just step back a little bit. She said, it's hard to pick what the leadership is when the Federal Reserve is talking about cloud, you know, citing yourself on cloudy days, and they don't know what they're doing, okay? Because, you know, they're, they're feeling it along day by day, uh, and, and that's the hard part. So you can't say, hey, they're done, or, you know, we're, we're sure they're done, and, and they're talking about that. So to be clear, we continue to think growth stocks look appealing from a longer-term fundamental perspective. And the GDP is expected to be below trend in the next two years. Uh, that's because interest rates rise, okay? That tends to lead to growth stocks outperforming. And with this in mind, we're keeping our overweight on tech unchanged. But in the shorter term, the overvaluation, the crowder, crowding problems in growth need to be resolved and will require some patience. Okay? So what we're saying is there's too many people involved in growth, all right? So, uh, you know, uh, we looked at some things with the high-frequency uh, data that comes out every week. And she really, uh, Lori Calvacina, really looks this over a lot. And, you know, she's our strategist. She's very good. She was uh, a small-cap strategist for someone for years and did a great job for them. Uh, but she said the EPS revisions, revisions for the S&P 500 have, again, you know, gone to positive territory in August. We talked about that last week. And then the individual uh, investor sentiment has got less positive. So once again, what we've been talking about is 2024 being the, the start of a you know another big bull move, and that would be wishy-washy up until then. And I think what what she's saying here is you've got rotation nation going, okay? Plus the earnings are getting better, and the individual investor goes he goes from positive, which means you you should be backing up a little bit and saying whoa, and then he goes a little bit further negative. So that when they get less bullish, you usually have a bull move, and that's what's happened. We had a 5% pullback, and, and the next thing we know, we're off to the races. So now the GDP forecasts are no longer baking in a negative GDP uh, on a quarter-to-quarter basis in 2023. That's, that's a big step, by the way. The, the emerging idea that the U.S. won't see a single quarter of negative GDP growth in 2020 has helped support the S&P 500 pricing this year, I think. Uh, but it's equally important that the expectations regarding 2024 GDP growth aren't ramping up yet. All right. So that explains why stocks have stalled a bit, you know, and they keep going this back and forth in the rotation nation. And the other thing we see is that U.S. equity fund flows continue to weaken. Now, what was interesting is the foreign markets got a lot of uh, money sent to them, and, and, and their relative strength compared to the U.S. is negative. So uh, that's kind of a it's kind of an interesting thing. Um, look, I just think you know we saw Powell's comments back in uh, at Jackson Hole. It's kind of balanced, all right. And uh, you know the the problem is you know he says we're not done yet, and you've got to kind of listen to them because, uh, you know, that's the way it is. Now, the S&P 500 is usually weak 
as a presidential election begins and it rallies back and and then it gets choppy again right around the event. So next year should be interesting. And, and, you know, it's, it's, uh, I think what's really interesting is the trends. uh, We could go into that at another time, but trends of how the market reacts compared to a Democrat or Republican. All right. uh, Look, I, a lot of people have asked me this question. I'm getting a lot of these questions, but, um, you know, we had this piece out this week and uh, by Atul Batia, who's uh, our, with our group in Minneapolis, and he said, the king is dead, long live the electron. As the world becomes even more digital, is the future of money facing the same destiny? You know, countries around the world are exploring digital versions of their currencies even as the concept raises question of financial system disruption. And so we, ex- we examined the advantages and drawbacks of central bank digital currencies, and we zeroed in on a potential for a digital dollar and argued that the likely result is a technological evolution, not a revolution. And I, that's our thought process. <laughs> Tim doesn't agree with that. All right. So electronic payments are on the rise as cash usage uh, declines across the globe. I mean, if you go to a couple of venues that I know, they won't take cash. Okay. Blossom, they won't take cash. Um, so it, it's leading an increasing number of governments to think about launching digital versions of their own currencies. Now, central bank digital currencies are, uh, in theory, offer faster and cheaper payments, allow people currently outside the traditional banking system access to financial infrastructure and could reduce settlement risk and, and, de- and delays on international trade. So that's a positive. And despite the hype around these, we see a host of security, privacy, and governance concerns that we believe outweigh the theoretical gains on efficiency. And we think it would be quite challenging to line up the necessarily uh, political support for an aggressive push towards a digital dollar because there's all sorts of, I mean, the bad guys don't like they like the digital system when they get in and out they, they nobody knows about them but if you have a digital dollar i think they'd be able to find out who's you know they'd be tracking all this stuff okay so we think the federal reserve will continue to emphasize incremental technology improvements versus a risky push toward uh transform the payments infrastructure um so bottom line commercial bank accounts and physical physical cash are likely to remain the center of the us financial architecture for the foreseeable future, okay? So cash may be king, but the crown seems to be to have lost some of its luster as of late. And the survey data shows consumers across the world increasingly prefer electronic payments over currency, with more than 70% of the respondents from countries as various Sweden, South Korea, et cetera, wanting to go cashless. Now, that may be okay, but it, it, it also, there's some bad news too, but, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not going to go into it, but... Younger people use cash less often. Matter of fact, uh, I I know two <laughs> young people who I know very very well who don't have any cash. They, you know, they don't they don't know what a five looks like from a ten. All right, so it, it breeds some. I think digital currency label breeds confusion. Uh, there's a lot of financial in- innovations there, and, and we think that. Uh, the rhetoric has kind of outstripped the precision. So there's some differences in what people mean when they talk about central bank digital currencies. Uh, you know, a true uh, CBDC, 
is a system where individuals hold currency directly at a central bank in electronic format with no means of converting their holdings to physical currency. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. So uh, um, it, 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 it's, it, you know, despite the emphasis on the digital format, uh, we believe that the core difference between a digital currency system and a physical one is how records of ownership are maintained. So that that's another, you know, that's a big thing. And, uh, you know, broadly speaking, the two main benefits to countries that implement it are, number one, it will reduce costs and increase access to payment systems. Second, it will reduce transaction processing times and so-called float risk. Uh, now, the bad news would be that the government knows exactly what's happening all the time. Okay, so uh, I, I don't think it's coming to the Federal Reserve near you anytime soon. So we'll just leave it at that. Um, there, there is a lot of cybercrime out there. You know, technology it's fifty percent, healthcare it's forty percent, the government public sector is thirty six percent, and the IRS just lost a bunch of or uh, got exposed by about half a million names. So I don't think everybody's ready yet until they figure out how to keep it uh secure all right so we'll just leave it at that all right um we we had some broadly encouraging economic data and uh, it's supported risk bearing assets this year so the recent back up in in bond yields appears to have dented investor sentiment quite a bit uh now we continue to believe you know, up in the quality approach to portfolio uh, is probably a smart idea, especially for your bonds. Okay, so we had a we had a steep rise in interest rates across many countries over the past year, especially over the last month, and global growth has maintained an upward trajectory, which is interesting. The largest economy in the world, the U.S., continues to, sp- to display a lot of resilience. All right. Projections from the Federal Reserve Bank of, of uh, uh, Atlanta suggest that U.S. GDP growth could expand by over 5% in the third quarter. That's big numbers, folks. All right, should this forecast hold true, uh, the U.S. economic growth would more than double its second quarter rate. That's the fastest pace since, I think, uh, the fourth quarter of 2021, which was the top, by the way. <laughs> While we think the forecast will almost certainly be uh, revised lower uh, as the quarter progresses, the the recent trend of the economic data is, is surprising on the upside, and it paints a, a picture of an economy running stronger than expected. Okay, so if you're out there, you know, what's interesting also is that deflation is well on its way since, it peaked, you know, since inflation peaked at 9.1% year over year last last June. The U.S. Consumer Price Index fell to 3.3% in July, and it's, it's driven by lower energy and good prices. Now, energy's up, so we'll see what happens. Uh, it's up a couple bucks on Friday. But the U.S. households remain in pretty good shape as far as, you know, deployable savings and, and strong labor demand, et cetera. And there's a few signs of strain in the corporate fundamentals. Um, we're noticing the reporting season has broadly featured above-average beat rates relative to the consensus profit estimates, uh, we've had solid margins, we've had stable guidance, and, and there, the trends indicate companies have been able to manage operating costs. So the uncertainties at this point, I think, are this soft landing scenario. When I'm like, 
75% of the economists now think we're going to have a soft landing. I hate when that many people agree. All right. So the upside risks to inflation, I think, warrant some monitoring. Um, you know, oil prices are there. That's a problem. Natural gas broke out last week. So price pressures have subsided, you know, fairly meaningfully. But the various measures of worker compensation growth still seem too high to be consistent with any kind of credible expectations of the, you know, inflation returning to what the Fed's expectation of 2% is. So given that the uh, the Fed officials, you know, they continue to radiate their focus on inflation and tight labor market, they will likely require more concrete evidence of a softened labor demand. That's, I, I don't think we're going anywhere, you know, on the interest rates until that happens. So look, we understand that there's, there's some um, delayed effects here in monetary policy. So we'll just keep that in the back of our minds. Let's take a break and we'll be right back. All right. This is the Smart Investor Show. Stay tuned. My first ride along was with Jamal, even before I was hired. They wanted me to see everything from the ground level before moving forward, and it was awesome. The first time I came in, I got to sit in on a meeting and never realized that plumbers have that level of organization and sophistication to their operations. And I say that as a former degreed project manager, as well as an Air Force vet. After getting out of the service, my wife and I moved to Cleveland, and I just wasn't happy with the corporate-style desk jobs. So I prayed for a sign. That next morning, my best friend called me about this radio ad on The Fish for a company he thought would be perfect for me. And he was right. Why it works was a godsend. You have to want to help people. But if you do, this job is fulfilling in ways that the right person won't find anywhere else. If you want that for your life, call us direct and consider it done at whyitworks.com. License number 30185. Wallach a doodle. Dennis Prager isn't sure he recognizes his country. University of Chicago reports that 30 million Americans believe violence is justified to keep Trump from the presidency. Mm, it's one out of every 10 of my fellow Americans. To think that I, I share this country with such people is difficult. The Dennis Prager Show. Weekdays at 1, right before Sebastian Gorka at 3 on AM 1420. The Answer. And Odyssey. At RBC Wealth Management, we are proud of our reputation for putting clients' interests first. Our steadfast commitment to helping clients achieve their financial goals includes giving back to the communities we serve. Through supporting youth education, human services, and the arts, we hope to make tomorrow better for everyone. Call Tim Hayes at 216-774-8906. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSC, FINRA, SIPC. Mr. Uh, Mr. Buffett, I'll go get a cheeseburger later on. <laughs> anyway, uh, Ed just emailed me. So I think what they're doing is they're going to my webpage via WHK and then emailing me, which is kind of neat. Um, Ed just emailed me and said, Tim, what about bonds? Well, look, I think uh, 
contrary to popular belief, everybody's going short term with their money and they're going to money markets and all that good stuff. And, uh, you know, our money market is very, very competitive at, uh, uh, against most of the other major brokerage firms. And um, I, I just think the return potential in bonds now looks pretty competitive compared to, to uh, equities. Now, I'm not suggesting you go short term. I think you go off five to 10 years because, you know, well, let's put it this way. If you're just looking for yield, the shorter term is good. But, there, you know, if you're looking for the capital gains and the yield, uh, you want to go out that five to 10 level. Okay. So a, a modestly defensive stance in your portfolio, the, the older you get, is a pretty good idea. Um, Historically, late cycle period usually, you know, will deliver positive return for cycle for stock. And investors should have bouts of volatility, by the way. But when you add, you know, that 64 or 60, 30, 10 portfolio, 60 percent stocks, 30 percent bonds and 10 percent cash. You know, uh, it's right now, I, I, you know, if you want yield, you go short term. If you want if you want to guess if you can get capital gains, remember. Yields don't always stay up with the with the Federal Reserve raising rates. The long-term yields, when they start to give it, you know, they start to die when the yields start going up, means that they've done enough work to slow down the economy usually. So now this has been a weird cycle, so <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. But look, we had some falling prices on the 10-year government bonds in, you know, in, in uh, July and most of August. So that means the the yields are going up. Um, and then they stopped this week. And, and it was kind of interesting. We, we had uh, uh, a, you know, a CPI report, you know, for August that was uh, very interesting. I, you know, I'm not sure what to make of it. We haven't made any real big comments about it other than what Lori said. And Lori said, basically, it was kind of exactly what she was looking for. And uh, so we'll see what happens going forward. You know, last week we started to talk about China and I got cut off uh, by a break and I forgot to come back to it. But look, uh, as one of globalization's big winners, China is now confronted with a new global economic paradigm. And that it's basically characterized by a heightened geopolitical tensions and fragmenting trade relationships. The U.S. and its closest allies are pursuing onshoring and uh, friendshoring of manufacturing to reduce their dependency on China. And uh, investors shouldn't overlook Chinese, the China's or Chinese unique role in the economic order. All right. Um, whether we like them or not, that's a whole different story. But we examine, you know, China manufacturing supply chain competencies continue to advance. And, you know, they're, they're going to be around. All right. So a Western decoupling from China is very unrealistic. You know, supply chains are highly complex and interconnected, and China is gaining market share in global manufacturing by moving up the supply chain. They've demonstrated an ability to overcome the impact of technological restrictions in the past. So every time we do that, they, you know, they've, they've already copied our stuff, I guess. And the company's vast manufacturing scale and, and a very well-established supply chain uh, could and should lay a foundation for future technology innovation. All right. So 
And the country began shifting away from the low-end labor-intensive component manufacturing, and now they're going to a higher-tech, full-spectrum product manufacturing more than a decade ago, all right? So, and then their domestic market is too big to be ignored by multinational corporations. I mean, uh, I mean it's huge. You know, they, they have 13 cities bigger than New York. So, so the supply chain transformation we are witnessing is a natural evolution of international trade and commerce. And look, we believe China can successfully navigate this period, uh, you know, whether we like it or not. You know, I mean, we can play hardball with them as much as we want. But uh, anyway, look, headlines about, you know, the geopolitics and COVID pandemic is, is driving a lot of the Western based multinational companies to, to relocate away from China. And that may, that may continue, but as trade flows shift away from the intense period of globalization to something more fragmented, you know, geopolitic factors are indeed playing a role. And, and governments, you know, and, uh, are promoting and incentivizing the onshoring of, of uh, or, or friendshoring, we'll call it, of manufacturing and, and all this. So China thinks, uh, well, let's put it, let me step back. We think the situation is more complex and less pessimistic than a lot of the mainstream headlines portray. So, look, the complexity of global trade continues to to be difficult, and I don't think China's going away. Second, China's manufacturing sector and global supply chains are very responsive and, uh, you know, have done a great job. So just going to keep that in mind. And, and I, you know, the other thing I... Uh, Oops, <laughs> I just uh, deleted something. Hold on. Uh, anyway, I, I think the important thing is that uh, you know we're we're seeing China as is down and out, but far from over. Now, people keep saying to me, uh, Tim, you know, are we, uh, uh, you know, we crazy? We want to do business with. Uh, these crazy people, and I look. I just think that the important thing is, is that you you have to be thinking ahead, uh, and, and you can't just disregard them. Okay, they're down and out, but that doesn't mean it's over. All right, so uh, we have a new report out, and it's taking control of your health care in retirement. Now we don't talk about health care other than the stocks and bonds of it, but look. Uh, life planning, the way I look at it, starts out with accumulating and growing your wealth. And then you fund your lifestyle today and for tomorrow, and then protect what is important to you and create a lasting legacy, okay? One of the things you have to be talking about is, uh, you know, the real cost of care, all right? So we have this new report out. It's called Taking Control of Healthcare and Retirement. And I think it's, I think everybody should get it. All right. So everybody's listening, <laughs> you know, go to WHK 1420, go to local podcast down to Smart Investor Show and uh, go right over my webpage and just request the healthcare, uh, you know, uh, taking care, taking control of healthcare retirement. It's a great, great piece. And I think uh, it, it's something that we all should be paying attention to. You know, add that to, by the way, that's one of the things we look at in the wealth plan. Uh, we, you know, we look at the probability of success 
based on health care costs and other things you want to do, uh, you know, and legacy costs, et cetera. So um, anyway, it's I, I highly recommend both. So the the health uh, taking care of health care in retirement report and the wealth plan questionnaire should be going out to everybody that's listening to the show today, um, in, in my humble opinion. Now, uh, I had some people ask me some uh, some interesting questions just recently. And the first one was, what's all the fuss about the BRICS? You know, just recently, there was a loose association of developing nations preparing to welcome up to six new members. Now, right at the moment, I don't think that's a problem. But, um, you know, developed economies are coming to terms with a significant shift in the geopolitical and geoeconomic landscape. And, and we look at how the emergence of new relationships could shape the future. Multinational summits have become commonplace, but the recent annual meeting of the BRIC countries, now BRICs are Brazil, Russia, India, and China, okay, uh, drew significant attention. And, you know, in the U.S. and other Western countries, uh, the assessment we saw from from business and mainstream publications and foreign policy think tanks mostly range from the demissive uh, to, to critical or even mocking, uh, and they largely miss the mark. There continues to be a lot of misunderstanding about BRICS, which is an association of companies, uh, countries, okay? There's a confusion about BRICS and what, what BRICS is aiming for, and that's the return of an international institution like the UN Security Council the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, all of which have been dominated by Western countries since the, the end of World War II and the establishment of Bretton Woods' monetary system. So there's not a lot of context about what uh, all this has to do with geopolitical and geoeconomic shifts that are taking place out there. So changes that are mostly consequential since the, the end of the Cold War. So people are joining the club, you know, four Middle Eastern countries, that type of thing. So Something to think about. We have a nice report about that if you like it. In the meantime, let's take a break and we'll be right back. Now they make new movies and old black and white. The happy endings where nobody fights. So if you find yourself in that nostalgic rage, honey, jump right up and show your age. Looking for a rugged, reliable truck without break in the bank? Well, look no further than our friends at Ganley Chevy in Aurora. They have inventory and deals that won't last long. And if you're concerned about interest rates, well, Chevy has a great offer for you on 2023 Silverado 1500 trucks. Interest rates at 1.9 for 36 months, 3.9 for 60 months, and 5.9 for 72 months. Buying a new car or truck should be a fun experience. In the dealership, well, it makes all the difference. And that's why we chose Ganley Chevy of Aurora for our truck purchase. We just love our Silverado. And everyone over at Ganley Chevy of Aurora, they're great. I love that they're part of the community. It's not just about selling cars. They really do consider you their friends and neighbors. Ganley Chevrolet in Aurora, 310 West Garfield in Aurora or online. GanleyChevyAurora.com. Find new roads. My first ride-along was with Jamal, even before I was hired. They wanted me to see everything from the ground level before moving forward. And it was awesome. 
The first time I came in, I got to sit in on a meeting and never realized that plumbers have that level of organization and sophistication to their operations. And I say that as a former degreed project manager as well as an Air Force vet. After getting out of the service, my wife and I moved to Cleveland and I just wasn't happy with the corporate style desk jobs. So I prayed for a sign. That next morning, my best friend called me about this radio ad on the fish for a company he thought would be perfect for me. And he was right. Why it works was a godsend. You have to want to help people. But if you do, this job is fulfilling in ways that the right person won't find anywhere else. If you want that for your life, call us direct and consider it done at whyitworks.com. License number 30185. Wallach a doodle. Hey, it's Bob France, and if you're in the market for new flooring, then I've got just two words for you. Floor King. Family owned and operated since 1985, right here in Brooklyn, Ohio, with an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Right now, the Floor King is offering you 24 months at 0% financing on your flooring project or 10% off your total purchase price. So call now. Call 216-640-5000. That's 216-640-5000. Set up your free in-home estimate today. Think flooring. Think Floor King. When it comes to managing your retirement, it's easy to get lost. Look to RBC Wealth Management to guide you. Our experienced, knowledgeable financial advisors will build your investment strategy by designing a plan that's tailored to your unique financial needs. Call Tim Hayes at 216-774-8906. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC. Member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Visit rbcwealthmanagement.com. I think I'll have a margarita after the show. <laughs> you know, um, I just got an email from Matt, Matt and Matt uh, was uh, basically asking about international equity. So I'm going to go into that in a second, Matt, okay? But first of all, look, the long-term secular trend for the U.S. equity market remains positive with this underlying 16- to 18-year cycle supportive, probably upside into the mid-2030s. Okay, and you know Rob Schleimer thinks there's potential for the S and P 500 to go to at least 1,400, and that's that's a 2,000 gain percent gain from the bottom where all the other bull markets are 2,300. The technical backdrop continues to support that case. Uh, in another four-year cycle, low was established back in the fourth quarter of 2022. Uh, it was similar to the prior four-year cycle lows that have developed and. Uh, during the bull markets, and we have this rising 400-week uh, or four-year 200-week moving average. So we bottomed in the fourth quarter. The monthly cycle indicators tracking two- to four-year moves continue to build to the upside with participation expanding uh, beyond the dominant technology leadership. We're starting to see some oil, some cyclicals, you know, that type of thing. Now, Matt, the longer-term technical profiles for international equity markets uh, has improved over the past six to eight months with monthly uh, cycle indicators continuing to build to the upside. They bottomed in the second quarter of 20, uh, 2022 also, by the way. But if you look at the relative strength or the relative performance versus the S&P 500, there's no meaningful change in leadership yet. We started to see a little bit of it back in the first week, and, and that was when the, you know in the first quarter they kind of outperformed, and then they had it. South again. So just keep that in the back of your head. 
But just remember, you know, these generational cycles last 16 to 18 years, okay? Now, uh, we, you know, could we go to 14,000? Who knows? But if the current cycle generates a similar rally of what we've seen in the past, like the, the 29 bull market to, to uh, uh, 1960 was 2,300, and then the 1974 bottom to 2,000 was 2,300. Yeah, you know, if we went to two thousand, we'd be looking at four fourteen thousand on the S and P five hundred. We're like forty five hundred right now. All right, so it's got a long way to go, I think, and we're very close to the end of the four year cycle, and uh, that would start in twenty twenty four. So we'll just keep that in the back of our head. But you know, we look at the four month versus the four uh, the thirteen month moving average. Usually, when the four month crosses over the thirteen month moving average, you're in a bull market. Okay, and that just occurred. So, you know, that's one of the te uh, technical tools we use to track the market, uh, or at least the trend of the equity market, uh, compared to shorter-term trends. Uh, so this is the four-month moving average over the 13-month moving average. And, and since the, the fourth quarter, the faster-moving four-month has been turning up, and at the end of March, it crossed over. So this is another way to track the relationship between uh, – you know, the vertical difference between the two moving averages. And by the way, this this was what we used back in 2009 to say, hey, you know, we we, thought, we made a call. Actually, Bob Dickey made the call back in 2009. Bob was our technician before Rob Schleimer, by the way. Anyway, back in March of 2009, we had such a statistical divergence between the two. That's when we called the bottom, and it seemed to have worked. And uh, we did the same thing. Back in 2020, uh, during the pandemic, you know, the bullish percent had gone to five and we were oversold. So uh, there we go. The other thing, you know, right at the moment, the relative performance of the S&P versus the, the Barclays aggregate bond index uh, is beginning to break out. So that means stocks are doing better than bonds. And if, you know, if, if you uh, made a picture of an uptrend going back to 2009, which, uh, you know, was an undercut when we had another undercut of that uptrend in 2020. But, you know, we draw a red line on the top. So that's a series of higher highs and a series of higher lows. We've held that low through this entire fiasco for the last two years of interest rates going high. That's very positive, I think. Now, remember, seasonally, uh, August is a, you know, kind of wishy-washy month. but since 2000, September's been a bad month. Now, you got to keep that in the back of your mind. It doesn't have to happen every time, okay? But just going to keep that, in the, the, you know, on a monthly scenario. Now, if you look seasonally, uh, since uh, 1928, September's a pretty bad month also. But what we did see is the bullish sentiment start to back off a little bit. You know, we got up to 47, 48, and now we're at 41, 42. And the bearish sentiment gave back quite a bit of it too. So uh, that's that's important stuff. You know, when the bears start uh, getting below twenty or twenty-five, that's when you worry. Uh, we were at twenty, and we've bounced up to twenty-four. So you like seeing that. And and once once again, you know, Matt, as far as relative performance of, uh, you know, I'm looking at the Morgan St Stanley Corporate Index, which is the the big European index. Uh, its relative performance compared to the S&P 500 is not there yet. So keep that in mind. Uh, now, 
you know, we did report on the show that if you, we took a, a trend line from 1980 and went straight down, uh, the interest rates have been going straight down since 1980. All right. So it's been easy to make money in bonds. And then we said we broke it last spring. All right. I mean, a year ago, spring. So I don't think interest rates are going back down. That's Tim's opinion now. Okay. Uh, but this, the cycle top has probably developed in the 10 year. And it just, it doesn't mean we're going back to 0.2, you know, 5%. Uh, it means we'll probably stay above that line and bounce around in this area for a pretty long time. So keep that uh, in the, in the back of your head. All right. Now, look, equ- if you look at equities, uh, I think uh, I'm viewing the fourth quarter lows of last year as the low and the, the inter- intermediate term and weekly indicators, which track, you know, multi-month swings are pulling back from overbought levels. And uh, that, de- you know, that developed this summer. We had a pretty good rally in, in June, I mean, in July. And, uh, you know, it coincides with a weak seasonality. Uh, now, if we're consistent with our view from last week, you know, short-term indicators tracking two to four-week uh, swings are oversold. All right, so that's the monthly indicator versus the weekly indicator. And you look at the put-to-call ratio, and and that could get real interesting too. So, but the momentum indicator is a little bit overbought. Probably pulls back a little bit. We'll see what happens. You know, we we held the 200-week moving average. Uh, and it, it's been the bottom, basically. It's been the uptrend line for a pretty long time. So we'll keep that, uh, you know, you got to keep thinking about that, I think, because it's it's uh, it's important. If it holds there, you know, that's what a bull market does, you know, and, and a bear market does the other thing. That becomes the, you know, a downward trending 200-day moving average tends to be the top all the time. So now the one thing, you know, Rob Schleimer talks about is the weekly quadrant balance uh, data. And that tracks the percentage of stocks with rising weekly momentum. And that peaked in July and continues to decline. And it's consistent with seasonal weakness. Okay. I hate to keep saying that, but you know, I think you can expect a bottom somewhere in the late third quarter, early fourth quarter. And then I think you got to get, you know, that's when the, the four year cycle. That's what we've said for the last two weeks, and we've had a nice little rally going on. And, uh, you know, we, we have a uh, – we broke the uptrend line dating back to March. And so in order to be solid citizens again, we have to get above that. And that's about the uh, 44.60 range on the S&P 500. All right? So I don't know if we finished that uh, above that Friday. But, uh, and, and you know – the, the NASDAQ weekly chart is, is pretty overbought. So, uh, you know, you're probably going to see it. You know, this is where the difference between daily and weekly. The weekly's overbought, the daily's oversold. So, you, ha- you know, you have these counter rallies going forward. And I think that's going to continue until the fourth quarter. The, the Russell 2000 remains range bound between 1700 and 2000 until it breaks one way or the other. I just think you got to just watch the small caps for a while. Uh, the daily momentum remains negative for the Russell, uh, so it's oversold. 
that means things could get interesting. Now, one of the things I think you've got to pay really close attention to is the put-to-call ratio. Uh, the the equity-only put-to-call ratio got to one. And one is usually, a, you know, sometimes it goes much higher than that. I've seen it going to 220. As you may recall, I talked about that in 2020. Uh, we talked about the put-to-call ratio is very, very high, and the number of bear, the bull-bear ratio was one of the, you know, highest I'd ever seen. and. Uh, you know, so we're at one again, and that's a pretty high number. Uh, now it's fading a little bit this week, but the, if, it, if we put the total put to call ratio, including ETS, we're at one point three, and we're still at one. So that's usually a contrary indicator, and it should support an oversold trading bounce. Okay, so uh, I don't know if if it's you know it's over or what you know, but you just got to uh, uh, remember that type of thing. So. Um, Anyway, those are the type of things we're looking at right now, um, and I, I think there's going to be an excellent opportunity uh, going forward. And I just lost my spot, so <laughs> bear with me. Uh, the I, I think you know the, the fact that people are getting less bullish, and the put to call ratio is in uh, an area where you know you got to pay close attention. I think that's important. So we were oversold. We had our 5% pullback. Now we're rallying a little bit. The 10-year yield kind of stopped right where we thought it was going to. A little worried there that it was going to break out. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, for now, I, will the 10-year yield go higher? Uh, I know it broke above that 325 level, which was, a, a, you know, a big resistance. And, and now that becomes support. So We'll see what happens going forward uh, and take it from there. Um, hey, let's take a break and we'll be right back. This is the Smart Investor Show. Stay tuned. As the son of a son of a sailor, I went. Out on the sea for adventure. This is Dennis Prager. Sign up today for an unforgettable experience in Israel this October. Mike Gallagher and I are traveling to the Holy Land on the Stand with Israel tour with our trusted partner, Inspiration Cruises and Tours. This trip of a lifetime to Israel is one you don't want to miss. Register today before it's too late at Stand with Israel Tour. Dot com, StandWithIsraelTour.com or call 855-565-5519. 855-565-5519. Charlie Kirk sees shady business going on. And so they have this coalition called the BRICS. The block of five countries, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. One of the things they're talking about in South Africa is the desire to strengthen their currencies and undermine the U.S. dollar, which would make us poor immediately poorer and poor immediately. The Charlie Kirk Show, weekdays at noon, right before Dennis Prager at 1 on AM 1420. The Answer. And Odyssey. Wouldn't it be nice to keep income rolling in even long after you retire? At RBC Wealth Management, we can help you invest for the future that you want and create a personalized plan to help you create the steadfast flow of income you'll need throughout your retirement. Call Tim Hayes at 216-774-8906. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSC, FINRA, SIPC. 
All right, more Jimmy Buffett. I, I think everybody yeah, listening to the show today should have a margarita today. All right? Anyway, for those of us who have a cocktail occasionally. Anyway, so um, we're expecting this overs- uh, oversold bounce. I think things are going to be choppy through the year end, uh, both on the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. Uh, however, I think there's a great opportunity out there. Okay. And uh, first of all, you know, I looked at the semiconductors and they, they came right down to the uptrend line uh, and then they turned oversold and they rallied. Okay. Um, so I think they're going to rally some fur- uh, further on. We'll see what happens there. But look, I think one of the things that people aren't paying attention to, and, you know, sometimes, you know, when you listen to CNBC or you listen to whatever, you know, your frame of mind, you know, is 24 hours. Uh, I have people that uh, are looking at, uh, you know, the momentum trades and all that good stuff. And it's great until they see their tax bill and then they they can't breathe for about four or five minutes. Uh, But the underperformance recently of dividend stocks is important. All right. Dividend growth stocks have underperformed the broader market year to date. Now they, they outperformed last year, driven in part by strong outperformance from several high market capitalization, non-dividend paying stocks. So what happens is when you have market capitalization as they go up and you get money in the S&P fund and people put more money in the S&P fund, they keep buying those stocks, okay? So dividend growth stocks now appear significantly discounted and are trading near the lower end of their historical valuation range relative to the broader market, okay? So dividend growth, especially dividend growth stocks, have outperformed when relative underperformance has reached the levels we're seeing right now, okay? So, look, one of the things you need in retirement is income. And the deal with dividend stocks is they get taxed at a lower rate than your CDs, your corporate bonds, et cetera, et cetera. So, Consistent dividend growth over a long period of time is a signal of a high-quality business, a well-run business, okay? And we expect the stocks of high-quality businesses to outperform in the event of an economic slowdown, which may happen still, okay? Remember, you know, it takes a long time for monetary policy to hit. You know, it doesn't... they raised rates five and a half percentage points in a year. We won't know what's happened with the economy for maybe another year and a half, okay? Because it takes six months usually. So, look, corporate bonds yields are higher, but they face inflation and rising interest rates. Bonds are a deflationary asset, okay? Stocks are an inflationary asset, and the growth of dividend stocks can help provide inflation protection to income streams over a long, long period of time. So the, the dividend aristocrat index is currently near the lower end of its relative performance versus the S&P 500. So on an average, the dividend index outperformed the S&P 500 by over 12% over the subsequent 24 months. So the relative rolling six-month underperformance reaches the levels we're seeing today. Bing, bing, bing. It should be bought. Okay. so. 
look, I say this simply because we have the dividend growth portfolio and the prime income list. And we also have our high quality uh, uh, stock portfolio and our our large cap value portfolio, which all have a lot of the dividend gainers in it. So they're all out there. Uh, highly recommend it. And uh, but if I look at if I look at the PE relative PE valuation of the dividend aristocrats versus the S&P 500, they're almost a full standard deviation below. Now, back in, in uh, 2020 and 2022, they were two standard deviation below, and that's why they outperformed last year. You know, our dividend growth portfolio looked great last year, all right, compared to the S&P 500. So these these are important. Now, the corporate spreads, the high yield spreads, I should say, uh, and investment grade spread are, you know, investment grade, high yield spreads are well above the corporate, you know, uh, uh, grade sp- spread. So it, things are going to get interesting, I think, going forward. But long-term returns for dividend growth stocks are wonderful. Remember, 40% of the return of the S&P 500 has been in dividends over the last 50 years. So um, I would suggest that the dividend growth portfolio is something I'd be paying attention to. So if you took $100 and put it to work in dividend growth stocks, you now have about almost 4000 If you just put it in the S&P 500, you'd have about 2300 That's from 1990 till today. Okay, so it does work. It's a long-term strategy. But believe me, if you're 40 years old right now and you're in a dividend growth portfolio and you're reinvesting those dividends, that's compounding, folks. That's how you make a mint, compounding over a long period of time. By the time you retire, you're looking at, you know, re- yields of 7, 8, 9% on your, on your stocks. And uh, all right, so it's kind of like rental property without the, the big, uh, you know, amount of money you have to put down. So anyway, uh, look, here's what I'd suggest. I would go to WHK1420. Go to local podcast down to Tim Hayes. I would certainly look at the bulletin board, read what Rob Schleimer has to say, and our and if you'd like to get our newsletter, let me know. Our insight thing, we have two new pieces this week. I think they're great. And you know, we talked about this uh taking control of healthcare and retirement. That and a wealth plan. I think everybody listening today should be getting those reports. So we'll just leave it at that. And um on the top, you know, look, dividend growth is important. Okay. It's the stability in your portfolio. You buy low, you sell high. Now's the time to be looking at those dividend growth stocks. All right? There are one standard deviation below where they normally are. Buy low, sell high. The prime income list has some good dividend uh, stocks in there. They don't, not all of them raise their dividend regularly. So if you're over 60 and you want, you know, income, it's yielding about four and a quarter percent. Okay. Now, remember, you pay a lot lower taxes on those than you do on corporate bonds, and they help in inflationary times, i.e., right now, <laughs> versus, you know, bonds are deflationary assets. That's why bonds outperformed from 1980 till a couple years ago, because we are in a deflationary scenario. We're no longer there. They've spent too much money in the government, and Mr. Powell went a little crazy too. In the meantime, have a great Labor Day weekend. All the people that labor hard, 
you know, I mean, if, if you look around and look at all the engineering and, and stuff that's happened in our world, and a lot of people risk their lives and a lot of other people have worked very, very hard to do things that we thought were impossible 100 years ago. Every out, Everybody out there in the labor force, take a couple of days off, relax. Have a margarita on Jimmy Buffett, okay? Uh, in the meantime, this is a Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. Remember to buy low, sell high. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management.